0: My conversation today is with Sora Sadkiel, a practitioner who, like myself, is local to the western North Carolina area. She is one of the most accomplished magicians and mystics I have had the pleasure of speaking with. Having studied Jewish mysticism and Kabbalah at the collegiate level, seriously studied Vajrayana Buddhism for many years, created her own inspired tarot decks, which she offers to the public, being an initiate of several orders and lineages in the Western esoteric tradition, including Martinism and Co Masonry to name a few, and having a family. She also gives classes on Kabbalah and Tarot and offers readings. Our conversation spanned the gamut of esoteric traditions, East and West, regarding philosophy, Dharma, exorcism, and demonology, and we explored arguably the most central and perhaps least acknowledged aspect. Of all work of spiritual development and transformation. Capital V, virtue. It was a pleasure to speak with Sora Sadkiel, and I regard this as one of the most enjoyable and adventurous conversations on the podcast to date. I'm Ike Baker, and this is the Arcanum Podcast. Very recently made each other's acquaintance, and mm-hmm. uh, even though we're both local to the Asheville, Western North Carolina area, and we, we spoke previously, you know about certain things. But uh, for anybody uninformed, uh, could you mention a little bit about your background? Because it is it is pretty extensive with the schooling and everything.
1: Oh sure, yeah. Um, so my name is Evie. I go by Sora Zadkiel. Um, Zadkiel is the archangel associated with a Buddhist concept called uh, Bodhicitta, which in essence um, is the desire for your life and your thoughts and words and deeds and basically all emanations of your own life to be of benefit to every single being throughout time and space. And not only to benefit them, but to assist them in becoming enlightened and assist them in becoming Buddhas. So I have a lot of Martian energy. (laughs) And so my uh, choice with that archangel was to balance out the intense martian energy and my own uh astrological signatures with regard to my chart um and also just in general i have like super heavy mars energy and so um on the catalytic tree of life you have uh and gavora and um so zod is associated with Hesed, and because i'm so heavily martian i felt that that would kind of bring me into the middle pillar uh so that is what i go under um you can find me on social media and um i under on on pretty much every platform but um so i was actually gifted my first tarot deck on my 17th birthday by a gentleman who uh was very present in my life growing up a dear friend of my family his name was paul clark and He's not really a mystic. He's an amazing photographer and um, just a wonderful person, but he's a dear friend of my mom's and he had gifted me this tarot deck on my birthday. It was actually, uh, it's like kind of an obscure deck, but it's by Juliette Sharman Burke. And uh, I still have it, but, uh, I started reading extensively with that deck and, uh, it's, I mean, I still read with it from time to time, but, um, That kind of opened me up to tarot study. I started using tarot almost daily for divination. I still remember my first reading. I asked, who am I and what am I doing here? And um, for who am I, I pulled the magician. And for what am I doing here, I pulled the eight of wands. Uh, And I still really, I mean, I clearly remember that reading and it is still accurate to this day. (laughs) So um, shortly thereafter, Uh, I graduated from high school and got a scholarship to University of Memphis uh, where I found myself studying Jewish mysticism under the department chair at the time. His name was David Patterson. And uh, it just blew my mind. I was pretty much like I was open to mysticism before then, I had definitely had some visions and some mystical experiences and interesting dreams, but, uh, I definitely felt the presence of God when witnessing his lectures and participating in the coursework at university of Memphis. Um, I ended up taking all of his classes and, uh, some of them I even took twice. I just audited them again. And, um, I ended up with a minor in Judaic Studies from University of Memphis. My major was psychology. I feel like the whole reason I went to University of Memphis is just to be introduced to the traditional Jewish Kabbalah. Um, you know, and when I started taking his coursework shortly thereafter, I found about I found out about the profound connection between Tarot and Kabbalah. And you know, I actually was living at a cult video store at the time in Memphis called Black Lodge <laughs> they were like kind of obsessed with Twin Peaks and um through my experience there I was turned on to reading Robert Anton Wilson and Timothy Leary and I started reading about Crowley and I became very interested and uh Crowley's works kind of opened me up to a lot of cabalistic tarot information um, though I didn't end up following any Thalamic path, I have like bumped elbows with a lot of Thelemites. I did um, w- in my mid-twenties end up moving to Canada and I worked for about four years with a Gnostic bishop who was also a Thelemite adept um, in an AA lineage. Um, though I didn't study Thelema with him, I did study the BOTA mysteries and co-masonry and Martinism. And um, a little bit of Gnosticism as well. But um, yeah, I'd say the bulk of my studies have been with the coursework of Paul Foster Case. His work has been really inspirational to me. Uh, He is known all over the world for being able to communicate very advanced esoteric concepts in a way that is clear and concise. And um, his coursework, has 100% transformed my life. I've done the Tarot Fundamentals course three times. It takes about a year and I will definitely do it again. And, uh, there's nothing like it, man. Like for those of you listening who are interested in really living the path of catalytic Tarot, his coursework is the best. You can sign up for the coursework through BOTA. There are also Uh, BOTA stands for Builders of the Additum. So, Paul Foster Case was a Golden Dawn adept. He, uh, well, Alpha and Omega specifically, but he went through the grades and became uh, an adept through that system and ended up, after some drama, leaving that order and creating his own called the Builders of the Additum. Uh, Before the Builders of the Adytum existed, he had published a lot of the coursework through what he called the School of Ageless Wisdom. Um, And I really love that because that's exactly what it is. It's a School of Ageless Wisdom, and um, it really encapsulates these precious mysteries of uh, the Western variety in beautiful coursework uh, that is perfect for the Western lifestyle you do practices every day. They don't take too long. Uh, You read lessons, you end up coloring your own major arcana deck through his third course through BOTA, um, which is Tarot Fundamentals. So uh, the first one offered through BOTA is Seven Steps to Practical Occultism. And it kind of is an overview of occult like uh, basically occult science, how consciousness works, how you can set intention and use visualization to manifest what you really want. And it's all about what you want, man, right? And if what you want is in resonance with benefiting sentient beings and healing, you can have whatever you want. You can be whatever you want to be. And um, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that In the West, we have some kind of like guilt complexes where they're like, "Oh, it's selfish of me to have what I want," or you know, uh, I think that that's incorrect. (laughs) We are beautiful vessels, uh, capable of channeling divine energy, and the whole point is to basically purify your personality so you can become an ever clearer vessel of life force energy and. You know, we all have deep passions within ourselves, and those deep passions are part of God. Um, The true deep passions, uh, not the obscured ones. So it it is a journey trying to find the root of right? And actually, in tarot, the white rose— represents purified desire you see that Mm -hmm. symbol in the Fool card as well as the death card um, in traditional tarot and there's a lot of beautiful mysteries uh involved with the white rose for sure so um but yeah through my journey with paul foster case i really wanted to create a deck for myself to use that had all of you know traditional symbolism in it and also with the minor arcana like i wasn't super resonant with the bota minor arcana it's very simple um like the two of wands is just like two wands i i am really inspired by pamela coleman smith's artwork and the smith weight deck and so um i actually ended up publishing two cabalistic tarot decks and one oracle deck that's kind of like a sci-fi experiment <laughs> um but i really wanted to make a deck that communicated all of the classical cabalistic tarot symbols when i was reading with it or meditating with it um with my own kind of artistic insight and spin on it so it's heavily inspired by bota um pamela coleman smith and smith weight or pamela coleman uh and uh AE weight, Pamela Coleman Smith and AE weight, um, their deck, which is probably the most famous deck that exists. <laughs> uh, so I have drawn a lot of inspiration from those two, primarily their deck and the BOTA deck, uh, then with my own like meditative experiences um, kind of woven throughout. So I, because I've borrowed so heavily from them, I definitely give them credit. <laughs> and, uh, um, but uh, yeah, so I, I sell my decks on Etsy and uh, they're very educational. So for people that are interested in learning Kabbalistic tarot, they're pretty much like flashcards. Um, I have a lot of the traditional symbols. I have all the Hebrew letters on them. I have um, on the aces through the tens. I have the corresponding Sephirotic names in Hebrew at the top and the elemental colors for the different suits, like pinnacles are green, swords are yellow, cups are blue, um, wands are red. And that really helps when you're doing a reading. It's like when you're doing a reading and you see all those colors, the colors really communicate to your psyche. Oh, wow. Well, this is a very emotional reading because every single card is blue or like over half the cards are blue. Um, so I'd never really found a deck like that. And so I ended up just making one myself, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, um, I, Love the mysteries. I really feel a profound karmic connection with the Western mysteries, and um, I'm honored to be a vehicle of those mysteries. And I pray that I can continue to be a better vehicle for them to continue to exist.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I I, um, I really enjoyed uh, Paul Foster Case's tarot stuff too. I remember uh, pretty early on in my uh, sort of golden dawn training of of uh, the the i guess uh cabalistic or hermetic tarot using his book of tokens as uh a, a nightly meditation i mean it was uh it was really tra- it was a transformative experience in and of itself and i would read it out loud to myself um uh it, it's it's pretty interesting the, uh what he did with with uh bota though um I remember seeing some of his letters to Israel Regerty. They, they corresponded with one another um, in that way. And I remember him being really turned off by the Enochian stuff so much so that when, when he reformatted a lot of what he learned um, in, in the golden dawn, he completely removed the Enochian stuff. And that kind of led me to this somewhat, uh, large scale investigation of John D and, and the Enochian, uh, communication <laughs> sessions and stuff. Really interesting, uh, really interesting stuff, but I'm, I'm a huge fan of case, uh, too, as well, but tarot is, so that's, that's typically like your, your area of focus. W- would you say?
1: Um, I'd say tarot is definitely like my tarot and Jewish Kabbalah. Um, you know, I know, People that are far more advanced in Jewish Kabbalah than me. I'm not Jewish, but I have studied those mysteries. Um also traditional Jewish Kabbalists don't really appreciate uh Hermetic Kabbalah very much. Uh some of them do, but I'd say most of them don't. Uh <laughs> uh, they they're they are critical because it's it's very simplistic compared to a lot of the original Jewish Kabbalah, which I, I totally understand and agree with, uh to a certain extent. Uh, but you know. The cultures have kind of commingled for a long time in Europe, and because it's such a beautiful system of mysticism, it it makes sense that it has kind of evolved into something different uh, with alchemy, uh, both like laboratory alchemy and also the spiritual alchemy of, you know, initiatic orders and various coursework uh, on the Hermetic mysteries and whatnot. But, uh yeah, I know Case was turned off by the Enochian stuff. Uh, I looked into it a little bit um, many years ago and I know uh, there was like some sketchiness with John D and Edward Kelly. Like, I think um, the medium was like a thief and he had like maybe his hand cut off or something like that or fingers. I don't remember the specific details, but there was definitely like some, some sketchy stuff going on there. So it's like, huh? Like, (laughs) uh, I understand. Yeah,
0: he, he, he he was he was a con man um and so i i read this book um in 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 studying of it uh called john d and the empire of angels by uh an author named jason louve he's got he does like the ultra culture um podcast and it was just incredible it's one of the most enthralling books i've ever read about the occult and i recommended it to somebody and uh after about like a month in, they were like, "Hey, you know, uh, I'm reading that book that you that you recommended to me. Uh, when does it pick up?" <laughs> it's like, uh, "Have you gotten to the part where the angels tell them to swap wives yet?" <laughs> she's like, "No, no, no, not yet." I'm like, "Okay, so after that, we just kind of take off. It's just it, you just launched into the stratosphere. It's really um, it's really an entertaining read, and for me, it doesn't necessarily." indicate that uh it doesn't invalidate things that's not that's not the way my brain works because it's it's not what reality has shown me you know like um i'm you know i don't i tend not to paint anyone with a single brush if i if i can help it but and uh you know spiritual work comes from a totally different place i say it all the time crowley's a great example it is totally doable to obtain some kind of psychic or spiritual power that is real and not develop as a as a human being in any kind of moral capacity they're
1: not totally.
0: Yeah, and I think we you know we see that it's pretty evident right now. <laughs> so.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um 100% and a lot of people are even born with really fascinating gifts um but Also, I mean, we live in degenerate times. We live in the Kali Yuga. Uh, All sorts of things are really out of place right now. And um, unfortunately, the moral and ethical bedrock of civilization that has prevailed in previous golden eras has been eroded uh, (laughs) by sin and uh, demonic forces. So um, it's up to us to like just continue just to try to be good people and you know to investigate what it is to be good what is real virtue because I think also there's a lot uh of confusion regarding that in modern times as well so
0: (laughs) yeah and and you're someone of the uh you know initiatic ilk you have done those things um and been through those systems and especially what what interests me the most is is your trajectory through co-masonry co-masonry it's or masonry itself being you know as it as it avers this a beautiful system of morality right Mm -hmm. um so it's kind of one of the first things that traditionally in the mysteries it was prerequisite you know it was you had to withstand trials of virtue and of courage which is a virtue um and uh in order to be accepted among the the uh priest class or the, the the class uh which administered to and preserved the mysteries. And uh, a lot of that has gotten washed out. I think Crowley had a lot to do with that. And um, we have, em- I think we've embraced it to the nth degree because you can get a lot of information on the internet and just kind of take off with it. Uh, and we are, as you say, I totally agree with you. We are living in the Kali Yuga there are demonic forces at play that are little suspected uh because we've been conditioned to gaslight ourselves into um into thinking that well, that well that's you know that doesn't exist it's like well it might not exist in the way that you've seen it drawn in storybooks but it definitely exists um but uh i know that that's a hard line for you as well the whole virtue thing you know how do you how do you practice that as you approach your you know what you do um spiritually and in the world
1: well i think with me i'm i'm very influenced by vajrayana buddhism um i first started meditating at a vajrayana center when i was going to university of memphis um and it's the only vajrayana center in memphis tennessee um and I would just do sitting meditation there. And I feel like even just sitting with a master, um, some Shakti pot takes place. So, Shakti pot is a Sanskrit term, but it's essentially you share psychic space with a master. And it's like a tuning fork. Um, it's like guru yoga in essence. Uh, but I didn't actually start practicing guru yoga specifically. Um, which is called Nundro in Vajrayana Buddhism. Those are the preliminary practices where you actually do like ritual practice with a master. And so I started doing that in 2013 um, with Lama Lanong Rinpoche. And he is a master of the Longchen Yintig lineage of Vajrayana Buddhism. He was raised in a monastery in Tibet and um, I'm still close with him though. I'm not as engaged in those practices at this point in my life because I'm doing other work, uh, I definitely go through phases of intense Vaudriana practice. Um, So I've found in studying the mysteries in general, it is so important to cultivate morals and ethics in oneself. Uh, We live in crazy times and it is really easy to be influenced by very malevolent energies, malevolent Patterns of being. Um, There are so many things that are so accessible, even to young children, that I believe really damage the soul and obscure the light and um, support negative, harmful behaviors that are uh, antithetical to evolution or spiritual evolution. Um, I've found nothing surpasses the fundamental body of teachings presented. Um, by the Vajrayana lineage out of Tibet. So, um, you know, uh, in a nutshell, it focuses on compassion. Uh, like I said, bodhicitta. So that is a very important concept. Basically, cultivating bodhicitta in yourself so that every single utterance, you're mindful in every single moment, every thought, every word, every deed. Is rooted in the intention to be of benefit to all beings, including enemies, especially enemies, because those are the harder ones to forgive. And that's, I mean, I've been just like every single person has been hurt by people, you know, uh, has some sort of like social friction with someone, also with family members, I mean, with people in your community. There's just no end to people that annoy you, right? (laughs) There's no end to people that. Um, cause hurt and you have definitely done the same like we've all done the same we have all hurt people and so um, with Vajrayana you put your enemies first um, there's actually the first practice you do in the f- body of foundational practices is uh, you accumulate prostrations so you do a hundred thousand prostrations along with refuge prayers where you take refuge in the Buddha Dharma and Sangha and essentially vow to be of benefit to all sentient beings and to cleave to the Dharma and to be a vessel of the Dharma, um, to benefit others. And you do visualizations, uh, with your enemies first, your enemies first. And, um, the prostrations, their full body prostrations where you basically lay prone on the ground, um, and you do some other energetic visualizations as well with your own, um, energy centers in your body with light pouring into you and things like that. Uh, but you know, you're visualizing your family, your parents, your enemies, um, all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas in front of you and, uh, pretty much every single being throughout time and space. I have not mastered this visualization, but, uh, I do my best to hold it there when I do this practice. And, um, it's actually really interesting that the Dharma is so, uh, much part of my own karma because my mother lodge in masonry is Vajra Lodge. And every single person that was a member of that lodge practiced Vajrayana except one person um, who respected Vajrayana and respected the symbol, um, but wasn't an active practitioner. But uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to me that my own karma with co-masonry is very much interwoven with, um, the Buddhist path. And, uh, I really appreciate, um, my experience in co-masonry. I was originally initiated into the Eastern order of international co-freemasonry for my entered apprentice. And it was a wonderful experience. Um, no riffraff straight to the point. Uh, people just wanted to do really good ritual Be mentally, physically clear. Um, There was a lot of grade work involved for my craft degrees. I wrote tons of essays and, um, you know, had to do a lot of memory work. And I really appreciated that educational experience and reflecting on what it means to be square and on the level. And um, it it really, uh, it was interweaving very beautifully with the lessons that I was learning through the Dharmic path as well
0: that's beautiful that's beautiful I, I remember when, when I was um I had a similar experience when uh, I also kind of balance in eastern and, and western tradition um uh I, I I've explored uh I guess Taoism through the lens of uh Chinese medicine and, and body work and energy work. I, I did a tremendous amount of all of these things. I did martial arts. I, I don't like to call myself a martial artist because I mean, I did not attain not in, not even in the slightest degree uh, to, to what is out there, but it, it, it did ac- acquaint me with certain energies. And I did have a similar experience when I was first initiated into the golden dawn. I had several initiations into energy work traditions and I went back to school um after you know however many years of being out uh i don't know maybe 12 years or something like that of of being completely out of school and uh the things that i was was being taught were went hand in hand with the recent golden dawn hermetic order the golden dawn initiation i had so it's really interesting how how when you these things kind of come together in this really important, I think, uh, synchronicity and kind of show you in a way what your path is, what your dharma is, so to speak. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, I want to ask you how how it's been also in, in other ways balancing the two. It sounds like it's it's very, very harmonious in hearing you speak about it it sounds like you have integrated it very, very completely. You don't really, there's a lot of toggling in a lot of people. uh, Sometimes when, when they end up practicing both at the same time, it's, it it can be very difficult just having to get your, yourself in the different, I guess, mental garb of the culture through which these things came through. It ultimately is the same thing really. But one thing that I I do want to ask before I get too far ahead the demonic kind of idea typically in the in a western paradigm i feel stems from a specifically christian kind of uh connotation but i am i'm under the impression i i, I which is why i defer to you here does not tibetan buddhism have its own concepts of of demonic uh entities
1: um so yes uh as far as the actual demonic entities, I don't know too much about them. Um, I do know that there are va- very famous tales of Guru Rinpoche, who is the second Buddha. He's also known as Padma Sambhava. Um, it's said that the whole body of Vajrayana practice stems from him. And when you do Guru Yoga with your teacher, your, your teacher is actually a direct emanation of Guru Rinpoche, the second Buddha. Um So there are stories of Guru Rinpoche essentially taming demons and turning them on the path of Dharma. And now they are a lot of the wrathful deities that you find in the Vajrayana path. Um, I have practiced some of the uh, Ch, which is a lineage of practice founded by a woman, which is very rare um, in... Tibetan Buddhism, her name was Machig Labdrön, and she lived m- many centuries ago um, but it's said that these lamas found her meditating in a cave and she still remembered Sanskrit from her past life as a yogi uh, in India and she was like, what's up, I've been channeling Tara in this cave for like a really long time and she basically developed a graveyard practice Um, Where you work with these wrathful goddesses and you cast a protective circle over a cremation ground. And it's not like a manicured graveyard like in the United States. I mean, there are like rotting bodies and tigers and stuff (laughs) in in the Tibetan (laughs) cremation grounds. Uh, So it's said that she would generate such compassion in herself that the tigers would cuddle with her in the cremation grounds. Um, But essentially, what you do is you offer your body in this practice. For the demons to eat. Uh, it's actually terrifying, <laughs> which is part of the experience, right? Um, but you um, do all these invocations, um, invoking dharmic nectar into yourself and uh, the essence of the Buddhas into yourself. And then you prepare your body um, through visualization in a skull cup called a kapala. You basically, uh, a, a wrathful goddess cuts off the top of your head and um, the top of your head becomes like a skull bowl, uh, an offering bowl, where you then like chop up your body and you call all the demons in to feast on your body, uh, the demonic energies that are lurking in the cremation ground, and you end up kind of tricking them into walking the path of dharma because your body has been imbued with the essence of the buddhas um so there are definitely demons in the vajrayana understanding of beings um i haven't learned too much of the nuances about the specific demonic energies but uh in general the tibetan approach is to Turn those demonic energies on the path of dharma um and it's really interesting as well you'll see statistically um crime goes down around spaces that do vajrayana practice which is really interesting a lot of the time they'll set up in like bad neighborhoods to be medicine uh energetically to the space um so that's
0: that's amazing
1: (laughs) yes Pretty cool. <laughs> amazing.
0: Yeah, it's see that that's the whole thing. And in that in, da- in esoteric Taoism as well, there's you know all sorts of things. Um, it actually reminds me of uh the concept of like a hungry ghost, what you're talking about, and that it, it's a term for essentially an etheric vampire, uh um in the esoteric Taoist tradition. And it's it, it's really interesting. The the visualization you're talking about, the Dharmic nectar, remind it, it, it's 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 kind of hinting to me this idea of drawing down a tremendous amount of etheric energy chi prana whatever you want to call it and then you know allowing something to pull that from you and 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 as you you know as it is said be fed by it and and therefore kind of imbuing that with this purified essence it's very alchemical energy work it sounds like and uh to to me, it also it also reminds me kind of, and I am very much a capital Q Kabbalist. Uh I, I'm not as well versed in, in Jewish uh Kabbalism. I am versed to some degree, but uh my understanding of the Lurianic Kabbalah involving the tikkun uh, HaOlam and uh you know the um the shekinah being trapped within the, the pieces of the the failed First creation, the the you know the the shards of the vessels that broke, uh, and the idea of the tikkun being we must not only save ourselves but we have to we have to take the clip the klipa you know the 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 shattered pieces that the shekinah, the the the, the divine fire of God is still trapped in and we have to release it. And that, that it, it, to me, they sound extremely similar where it's like, it's not enough to save yourself. You have to save everything type of thing. You have to rectify um, if you are to become involved in these particular mystical and esoteric practical lineages. It's absolutely fascinating.
1: It really is. And um, yeah, I think you're exactly right um, with true wisdom traditions, I think it's light through a different lens. And I mean, even my Rinpoche, Lama Lanong, who I took formal refuge with in 2014, um, he believes Christ was a Buddha, you know, and he, uh, like I still chat with him regularly and he, even though I'm not actively doing a lot of Buddhist practices right now, because I'm focused on other work, um, you know, he still recognizes what I do as Dharmic and I still contemplate so many of the foundational concepts in Buddhism in relation with my Western studies. Going back to what you were saying about, you know, the Eastern and Western paths integrating, um, I definitely recommend if you're going through an initiatic system, uh, whether it is doing Buddhist nandro or if you're going through some hermetic school, um, I would recommend doing that first and foremost. Um, I definitely recommend doing one thing at a time. Um, There is an alchemical process that happens as you go through grade work in Western orders. There's also an alchemical process that happens. Let's say if you are um, doing intensive Buddhist practice, um, So, for example, when COVID hit, I was doing a special practice with my Rinpoche, um, uh, which is essentially Rathal Guru Rinpoche, um, Guru Dragpo practice, and I exclusively did that every day with my partner um, for almost a year. And I wasn't doing Western work at all because I really wanted, I, I knew in my own soul and uh, just in my life experience that I was supposed to do this practice for the benefit of the world at that time. Um, you know, and in the past when I've done other grade work, uh, of the Western variety, it has kind of taken the forefront. I think, um, if you're doing two really intense systems at the same time, it can create confusion. Um, there are specific energies impregnated in your aura when you're, doing, let's say, you know, me working with my guru and getting a transmission of a practice and then doing it extensively with him and uh, in another group, there's all sorts of like energies that are present in your life and like deities manifesting in your psyche. And, um, I think that when you're, if you're working two intensive systems at the same time, it might confuse some of the results. And also I want to see the results, you know, I want to know, okay, I'm doing this grade work. I see this results, you know, and that doesn't mean I'm not going to like hop in and, and connect with my guru every once in a while, but I'm not going to just, I think that it's better for people that are doing a dedicated path to do that first and foremost, like one at a time. Um, that has been recommended to me by my dear Western teacher, Darcy Kuntz as well. Um, you know, cause I've talked with him about this because I, I do have commitments to my Tibetan teacher and I do have commitments to the Western mysteries as well. And so I don't, I don't want to confuse any specific process. Um, so that's, that's what has been recommended to me by both western teachers and eastern teachers to do one thing at a time and uh that is what i would recommend to anyone who might be dealing with something similar
0: yeah i think that's pretty good advice i know for me ultimately it did splinter off it it kind of had to but my interest remains um in trying to take uh the western thing is always going to be much more of my bag. I have a, not just a, not just, I guess, kind of like a, a a genetic, um, or, or I'm a Western person. So it makes a little bit more sense to me. It's a little bit more accessible. Uh, and I mean that not only on a spiritual and energetic level, but on a, a, a practical level, um, it's not necessarily accessible for me to go out there and try and find these Taoist, um, texts and i i i had a wonderful brilliant woman on uh the podcast her name was uh, is benabel Wen, and she uh she's very much uh bridges those gaps and i one of the questions i had for her was like what do you what do you recommend people to read about esoteric taoism and she's like i i can't give you an answer because it's not even easy to find beginning texts in it's the original language. There's next to none translated. But, um, but also, for me, I also have a very strong Mediterranean connection. You know, my, my family is, is from Europe, from Greece. And uh, my father was. And I go back there um, quite a bit. And there is a sense of coming home. When that plane lands, you know it, it's it's an unbelievable thing. I feel like I'm touching hallowed ground. I I just connect there. So so the Western thing is is always going to be a little bit more something to, uh, you know on which I lean. But I do think that the that in in some of the traditions, the energetic component is not as fully fleshed out as in the Eastern systems. Um, it's danced around. We use it, but we don't really. A, I don't think we understand what it is uh, if you're just in the Western paradigm. And B, I don't un- think we understand it in, in, in great depth. You know, you're talking about these, these Buddhist uh, visualizations, which are very, very high level energy work, um, alchemical energy work. Um, but uh, I'm glad to hear you say that because a lot of people do. Uh, there's a lot of that kind of like buffet style syncretism in 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 spirituality and uh i i also agree you you need to you need to at least complete one like arc of completion you have to go through the wash and dry cycle <laughs> before you can can start something uh completely new or just to be able to say that i fully understand this thing and one of the things also is that western people i feel like we're always looking for a one to one I always want this specific thing over here in the Western tradition to have its exact uh, sort of one-to-one correspondence in this. And it, it doesn't always work that way. Right. I mean, in practical Kabbalah, there are really five centers in the middle line in, you know, uh, Eastern India uh, in Eastern or or Indian energy work. There are seven and and people are kind of like, well, where, where are we losing, you know, the other two? And it's like, yeah, you're not really understanding here. It's, you know, there. You, you look at you look at the Taoist stuff, and there there are literally chakras, you know, all over your body, everywhere, inside, outside, it's everywhere. Um, but these systems are what these 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 systems are what we're using to to bring the energy through down and up uh, a certain path. But a- along those lines, you you definitely are a ceremonialist, correct? You you practice ritual.
1: One hundred percent. One hundred percent. But before we move into that, I do want to say, so Paul Foster Case talks a lot in his material about seven interior stars. Uh, They correlate to the seven traditional planets. And so they correlate to the chakras perfectly or chakras, uh, which is the actual correct way. I I try to correct myself because I chakras, but there's a going (laughs) that I've been corrected on. So I'm trying to rewire myself. Um, but yeah, so root chakra correlates to Saturn. Um, the next one up sacral corresponds to Mars, solar plexus, Venus, or sorry, no solar plexus, Jupiter, heart, sun, Venus, throat, moon, third eye, Mercury crown. Um, so, Uh, There's a lot of emphasis in working with catalytic Tarot through the coursework uh, presented by Paul Foster Case um, brings those into harmony. Uh, So some, you know, yogic practitioners might advise to focus on a specific chakra to bring it into balance. Um, Paul Foster Case does not recommend that. He recommends meditation with the mandalas of tarot and contemplation of the symbols and study of the symbols. And in doing so, it naturally brings your interior stars into harmony um, with God (laughs) in essence. And um, it's, it's beautiful. I really believe that doing that coursework cleanses the subconscious and everything is made of the subconscious substance, right? And so when you are actively purifying it through study, meditation, contemplation, ritual, uh, you definitely see results both in your own psyche, um, in your surroundings and in the world, for sure. Um, but yes, yeah. I love ritual. Mm, ritual is the best, uh, you know, it's active meditation. And um, I have always been drawn to ritual since I was a young child. I remember being at Sunday school at Calvary Episcopal Church where I used to go in Memphis, Tennessee and in the Sunday school rooms, they would have like a little altar play kit. Uh, yes. With candles and matches. Why? I don't know. But, uh, (laughs) I guess I was under supervision, but I remember, you know, like lighting the advent candle and putting out the altar cloth and they'd change them. Uh, what was accessible throughout the seasons. And, um, I was just very drawn to, uh, priestly things (laughs) when I was a young child. Um, but I absolutely love ritual, uh, both Western and Eastern for sure.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, there, there's, um, you can even incorporate, I mean, I think that, that, that really is what is not explicit. That needs to be is the energy work components, uh, within ritual and ceremonial. But one of the, uh, one of the questions that I like to ask everybody, there's, there's two stock questions, um, that I, that I like to ask. I'll ask the second one later towards the end, but I think this is a pretty good time to ask you. How would you you summarize the way in which you personally experienced magic?
1: That's a really good question. Um, so magic, I believe is a process of transformation and aligning, your consciousness, uh, your soul, your multidimensional self, um, with the perfection of God. And I find that we have these tools to help us do that. Um, there are small daily rituals that one does. Um, often they're presented in a curriculum through an initiatic school, uh there are also your own personal rituals like i love bath time ritual for myself you know if i feel i need some herbal medicine i'll work with essential oils or i'll work with tea um i drink tons of holy basil all the time it is the most potent medicine uh for everything (laughs) uh the antidote to kali yuga i've just I'm just kidding. It's not actually a complete antidote, but it definitely helps with some of the pain and suffering. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I've always set up altars for myself, uh, in my home. Um, they've definitely become more refined over the years as I've received some guidance from teachers. I used to kind of have altars with like all sorts of different deities from different religions. And now I try to keep them more separate, um, unless it's like a specific world peace altar. I've done that before um, to kind of promote world peace in the collective and respect amongst different traditions. But um, my Rinpoche says to keep the deities separate. So, you know, I'll have like a little Egyptian altar and uh, those kinds of things, just because they help hold space for the divine in my own home. Um, As far as back to your, question my experience of magic I experience a lot Um, I experience profound synchronicities in my life and have from a young age I feel like this is um, what David Patterson would say my previous uh, Jewish Kabbalistic professor uh, it's when God winks and I feel like a lot of the time those profound synchronicities are signs of progress or signs that you're on the right path. I've also had synchronicities that are uh, ominous in a bad way. (laughs) Like, Hey, this probably isn't the space for you. Um, So, I mean, magic, when you really choose to purify yourself and to heal and to become a vessel for the divine, uh, when you really make that commitment in yourself and are seeking tools and resources to do that in the most effective way possible, um, I believe that that starts a very magical process. Um, and it's really beautiful. I mean, my experience with magic is going to be different than everyone else's. Everyone has their own unique experience with the mysteries and with visions. I have one of my best friends who I know I have incarnated with in other dimensions and like so many lifetimes. Um, She is not on the Western hermetic path, uh, but she is 100% on the path and has all sorts of beautiful visions of angelic beings and, you know, um, channels hathor like through musical meditation and uh, receives very clear like instructions for temple building and things like that i mean if you really just make the commitment in yourself to be a vessel of healing and to merge with god the magic is going to unfold you have to be willing to integrate your own shadow um to let go of things that aren't serving, um, to embrace change, to shed skin, um, and to honestly self-reflect, to purify, um, that that's really, really important. I think without a dedicated self-reflection practice, you're not going to get anywhere, um, <laughs> at all. <laughs> and I yeah, think that I agree. I've, yeah. I've seen, um, unfortunately, uh, with the West, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, um, our culture is broken. So I'm going back. This makes me think of what you were saying of going to your ancestral homeland and feeling like your home, even though you didn't grow up there. There is a genetic memory of that place. And um, I see that in my teacher, Lama Lanong, who was raised in Tibet and like his ancestors are from Tibet. He practices the native. It's, it's an, in essence like an esoteric shamanic tradition. He practices his ancestral tradition. I feel like a lot of what we study in the West right now, uh, we're trying to like piece together things that have been lost, but there's not a direct unbroken lineage. Um, And so I think that that is symbolic of kind of our culture being broken. And I think that's why um, there are so many like fundamental holes You know, unfortunately, with a lot of Western groups, you'll find lots of drinking um, and immoral behavior. And it's sad, but it's true. And like, um, I don't think that those people are holding space for the mysteries. And I think um, a lot of people that are drawn to ritual work and uh, priestly cast type practices and living the life um, of someone in a priestly cast in a different Culture, You know, I mean, a lot of people have that desire to do that um, and it can be hard to find the right group. So um, for any of you out there who are seeking uh, initiatic orders, definitely like uh, substance abuse or using inebriants like beforehand was would definitely be a red flag. in in my opinion, so and I'm not like anti drinking or anything like that i think that you know everything in moderation but when you're doing spiritual work it can definitely cause problems and cloud the psyche and cloud the body and you ultimately want to be a channel of light you want to be a channel of the guardians of the tradition when you're taking the responsibility to initiate people or to represent the mysteries and um uh yeah i think There's just like, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about the erosion of like morals and ethics in the Kali Yuga and in um, cultures in general. Um, But I find that that has not been eroded (laughs) in the uh, Buddhist um, lineage of practice. And so I draw heavily from that. And I think part of my own karma is to bring some of the wisdom from Tibet into the Western mysteries um, to help promote healing and help kind of recalibrate people's moral compasses based on an authentic lineage of ageless wisdom that has perfected that.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. I agree with pretty much all of that. I mean, it's the, I think that that one of the things that a, a a neophyte or somebody new to the spiritual path has to focus on, or or or, or can really benefit, is the alchemical image of the crucified serpent. Um, and it, it's it's very very powerful. The serpent is it, as a symbol is something that I think resonates with a lot of people because every time I touch on it in let's say uh, a teaching group. I get like messages from people, like I, multiple people, uh, you know, I've been having dreams of snakes and all that stuff. So it's, it's one of those things where if you just, if you just touch on it a little bit, it has this explosive effect, particularly with <clears throat> young Western people. And I think that that's really the battle that we're having, right? If you look at it, I mean, the serpent is, it's, it's one of the most, it's one of the most common images, I- I- symbolic images in, in occultism and religion, Uh, and also the 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 most least understood um you know draconis in in greek the ancient greek where we get the word dragon from it just meant serpent it just meant a snake um and the right you, you take the microcosmic and the macrocosmic model there's a world serpent you know the ouroboros this kind of energy which enlivens and animates right i think the the one of the speeches of Serapis to, to uh, a, a king or an emperor in ancient in antiquity was, uh, you know, the moon is my left eye, the sun is my right eye or something like that. And I just I flow through the air. And in Theosophy, you had the, uh, this idea of full hot. And uh, in Levi it was the azot. Um, and there's a personal serpent in all of us. You know, we we have a microcosmic serpent that energy, and it is the psychosexual energy, which is the battery and motive force behind all magic, all magic, all energy work. And the issue is, and Carl Jung went to great lengths to describe how this can either heal you or kill you, right? Like the rod of Asclepius with the serpent, and and even the staff of Hermes, the twin serpents. People new to this tradition coming out of this this eroded uh, culture that we have, there's no virtue. And I don't mean Christian pious morality. I mean, capital V virtue in the platonic sense where it's like, the, this is the way you have to behave because the, the universal laws of behavior dictate a cause and effect. If I do this, this is the result I will reap. Um, that could come now, that could come later. It could be external for the world to see, or it could be interior and just a pain, a private pain, but you will suffer if you do these things. And um, we come out of this, this morally eroded society and into the mysteries, and all of a sudden we're playing with a snake. We're playing with our own etheric psychosexual energy, and people will raise this to such a high degree in ritual. And then need to ground it. They don't know what else to do with it. So they go and they'll have, you know, it'll manifest in, in in, literally in orgies after a ritual ritual. So you were just, you were just at the extreme of praising the most high and cultivating this, this universal energy. And now we're going to just completely ground it. And Dion Fortune talks about that a lot, which is why I I love her. I will go to war for Dion Fortune for as long as I live. But um. yeah but but so it's it's it is super important for people and actually after our last talk right i I had been writing something um specifically for Tria prima (laughs) and uh i was i was off on some like very very intellectual kind of neoplatonic tack and after you and i had our last conversation about virtue i was inspired to i i like I ripped up what I was writing and I just went with the virtue thing. I'm like, no, I've got to do this. I've got to put this out there. So thank you.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. I can't wait to read that.
0: <laughs> um, one other thing that I, I want to touch on is that you and I also have another common love and that's tool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Woo. Oh yeah. Tool they are so magical. And like, I mean, whoa, dude, I feel like lateralis is actually a living entity. Um, I mean, I had a mystical experience once when I listened to out lateralis and I saw these like angelic entities that actually live in the music. Um, And the like beautiful rainbow, Alex gray rainbow. eye was like burned into my retinas for like three days, like everywhere. I saw it. I was like, God, Damn, what did they do with this album, dude? Like, this is some crazy magic, man. Um, yeah, I mean, Lateralis is like the music I'm gonna hear when I die. <laughs> In the moment, yeah. like, you know, and fall into the taste, one taste of the universe. Um, yeah. I am so grateful for them. They're my biggest source of inspiration uh, ever since I was 12. Like, I saw. I got Anima when I was 12 years old. I'm 35 now. I was born in 87. And uh, I saw them for the first time when I was 14. Lateralis tour. Uh, It was a school night. So like I couldn't stay the whole time, you know, but I wanted to, I was like, you know, in middle school. Um, And my parents were trying to be responsible, Uh, but I was there (laughs) for part of it. And uh, oh, true story. I'm wearing a vintage lateralis tour shirt right now that has the yes. show on the back yeah um i am eight months pregnant and it is like the only shirt that fits me and i literally have enough tool shirts to wear for like a month and a half uh, a different one every day I-, I i have spent so much money at tool concerts oh my god dude i can't even think about it because it kind of hurts a little bit but uh I love Tool so much. I've seen them thirteen times. I'm definitely going to see them more. I heard that they are having a big tour. Um, they're doing another tour at the end of this year. Um, that's what Danny Carey said in an interview recently. So that's really exciting. Um, I love Tool. I, I I hope they
0: come. I hope they come around here, man. Oh, I, I really I, hope I, that they they come around here.
1: Yeah, I've seen them in Charlotte uh, in 2012. Um, so, I know that they play around these parts um, sometimes. They probably will, Charlotte's huge. Yeah. So, the, we should go. Let's so go. So, it's,
0: it, yes.
1: yes. B-I-D. Let's do it. it. it it's, it's, it, it's,
0: it's one of those things where I've actually had several people on the podcast ask me, Oh, was music the way you got into the occult? And of course, in my head, I'm thinking of Crowley and all that shit with Led Zeppelin. And I'm like, No. That's, that's not at all. But when I look back, I stop for a minute and I think about it and you know, it's so much of this, this process of me interviewing people and having conversations with people is me kind of my, my blind, my personal blind spots are getting revealed to me uh, and how much either I've completely forgotten or somewhat fabricated about my own life. And uh, you know, one of the things is that, yeah, I got, I got lateralis for my my 13th birthday and it uh or 14th birthday and um it changed my life. I mean uh that that's that's the whole thing. I I won't say that I got into spirituality because of tool, but whatever was on that record oriented my mind to begin gravitating towards spiritual things. Which oh. is like how in the hell did they do that?
1: <laughs> Dude, Danny Carey is magic. And, like, reflection. I mean, the whole album is so intense. Like, the patient is, like, so... Such a beautiful uh, reflection on the the struggles of the path, you know? Uh, but then when you get to reflection, it's like, whoa. This is, like, some transcendental, like, otherworldly stuff. And only, you know only as I was like entering into adulthood, did I really start to understand the gravity of the meaning imbued in that album. And, um, it it was, it, it, you know, and I had listened to it for years, but I started to have mystical experiences and it was very much tied to tool my experience with tool. And, um, I couldn't even listen to lateralis casually for like 10 years. (laughs) like only in the past like three years have i been like okay i can listen to this like in the car again yeah Uh, i I can only do this like ceremoniously you know uh as a a a ritual for myself and like nourishing my higher self and like the union of my higher self and my waking my like dude (laughs) tool is so special man like i don't even began
0: well it's it what's really interesting is that i think they came up with the name as as they were referring to you know wanting their music to be a tool for this these kinds of experiences um but i I talk i have a lot of musicians and a lot of artists also on that i talk to and that that come on the podcast and one of the things one of the themes oh i i spoke to to travis lawrence too and we we kind of we we i mean you talk to anybody who's familiar with with making art and we always arrive at the same thing where it's like a lot of times it's not has nothing to do with me i am a vessel and i i think that when people create right you got somebody like maynard who is so anti like this this idolization that a lot of fans have of the band and i think part of that is because well you in this collective were so open to receive whatever this was but you're at the end of the day right like you don't have to be this ascended master in order to do that you know and and you just uh, become really good at channeling inspiration which ultimately transcends us of which we are the vessels and 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 to me that record and and this is thing something a lot of people a lot of people who who look at us tool fans like uh, some kind of very special animal <laughs> it's like um if you really, really sit with it and even just even just take a look at the words like you're saying, these reflections on the path and 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 the nature of self, I categorize that record on the level of like holy scripture. Like, you know, like with the Tao Te Ching, with the, you know, with the Holy Bible, like it's, it's up there as this channeled, like this received work, which is, um, so what I'm trying to say is that everybody who doesn't listen to tool, you need to go and do it and just stop, just bite the bullet and (laughs) give it a shot.
1: Agreed. Agreed. No, I I agree 100%, uh, with the (laughs) scripture thing, uh, (laughs) On Tool Man, uh, specifically Lateralis. Uh, you know, there's some bangers on some of their other albums too. Like, you know, Third Eye is really inspired on Anima. I feel like that is kind of like a segue into Lateralis. And I feel like 10,000 Days is more of like a harsh reflection on Samsara. And also, I kind of feel like Tool was like, okay, well, we kind of spoon fed them you know, transcendent experiences with lateralis and they still didn't get it. So uh, let's have a look at the suffering of samsara with ten thousand days. And I feel like um, fear inoculum is kind of a balance between the two. There's definitely some like drumming. That is a nod to lateralis uh, on fear inoculum. I really, really like fear inoculum a lot. Um, uh,
0: yeah. I, I think that's, I think that that record, to be honest with you i see a lot of it would be a shame if a band didn't trend if a band didn't kind of move and evolve and 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 transcend especially when you're talking about a bunch of dudes that are in their 50s now so it's like yes we want to hear some sort of progression and a lot of times that reaches back and you can hear that in some of the stuff that danny very you know because he's, he's got the keys going and everything. It's very reminiscent of like elp and very traditionally prog rock which is cool but Uh, I like that they went back to the explicitly spiritual transcendent kind of lyrical material. And I think most specifically, which, which a lot of people haven't drawn the conclusion, but I, I nearly shit my pants when I realized they released this album fear inoculum, right? Right before
1: the thing. Uh, Yes. They're they're, they're totally prophetic. Like (laughs) no, they are. I mean, it's, it's very obvious dude. And like, just what tool does and represents to so many people on the path. Um, Yeah, man, they're just, I don't even know what to say. You know, uh, it makes me think there's like this Fred Durst clip from the 90s. And it's like super random because it's like Fred Durst. And he's just like, you know, I don't know what's up with those tool guys, but they are tuned into something else that nobody (laughs) else. and uh he's totally right (laughs) but uh you know when you're a tool person the synchronicities just flow and it's very obvious that they uh were tuned into what was coming with covid for sure yeah Yeah. so on on that
0: tack I'll, i'll lead into my my final question of the night which i ask everybody and i hope this doesn't put you too much on the spot but i have a feeling it won't uh Would you please, if you could, uh, recommend for anybody listening to this podcast, we've covered a decent amount of ground, um, recommend three works. They could be like we're talking about albums. uh, One could be a book. They could all be books, movies, uh, just even just personages uh, that give maybe talks or, or have a YouTube, something like that that you would recommend to people who have been listening to our conversation tonight and want to go and explore some of these things a little further. So just, just three, if you got them. Sure.
1: Um, definitely uh, the works of Paul Foster case in general, I can't really just pick one. Um, you mentioned the book of tokens. That is 100% an inspired work. I do consider that to be my favorite book. Um, it's a holy book and it's, holds beautiful mysteries of Kabbalistic tarot. It is definitely worth years of study. And um, it's really wonderful to hear that you read the meditations out loud. I do think that that is very important. And you can even chant them in the corresponding musical note um, for some added umph. <laughs> um, I definitely recommend the Book of Tokens, uh, Tarot, A Key to the Wisdom of the Ages and um seven steps to practical occultism intro to tarot and tarot fundamentals you can find published versions of those three courses available on amazon um if you truly want to be transformed by the mysteries of cabalistic tarot he is your man so first is paul foster case uh second is definitely tool uh all the albums uh, pretty much every album that includes Justin Chancellor, you need to get. So Anima and Forward, I, I just can't get into Earlier Tool. It's kind of like the lead <laughs> before the gold, you know? Uh, yeah, There's like a couple of good ones, but like I have the albums, but man, I just don't jam out. I just don't jam <laughs> to those. Um, yeah. Now, third, I'm going to pick Yodorowski's uh, Holy Mountain for those of you out there who have not seen it he is definitely a tarot expert as well he's written books on tarot he's published a deck um yodorowski is a practitioner of the western mysteries and an extreme visionary and uh, creative vessel um he will not lead you astray and uh holy mountain is very weird <laughs> but it is beautiful and holds a lot of the mysteries of Kabbalah. Um, I'm very inspired by ritual art, um, in that way. And there's nothing like it. I I consider that to be my favorite film and, um, he is very, very special. So that's, that's what I would recommend.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Well, um, Uh, before we go, do you have anything, uh, that you want to plug anywhere that people can find you or any, um, I know that we're both kind of local to the Asheville area, any classes, I know that you give classes, anything that you have going on?
1: Yes. So, um, I am about to give birth, so, uh, (laughs) I, I will not be hosting public classes probably until the end of May. Um, but I will be hosting a public class that is free i will request a donation to uh the space so my dear friend she's actually the visionary i mentioned her name is gina um the one who receives visions from hathor and is just a total badass um she owns a business called altar alchemy and she sells crystals and um It's the most amazing crystal collection I've ever seen. She is a sound healer. She does sound healing with quartz singing bowls and like has a quartz xylophone. Whoa. Um, (laughs) She is just so beautiful, but she has a temple space at her business for sound healing. And I will be doing the study group there. Um, so I offer the study group for free, but because she's so generous to share her business, I will have a donation bowl for her space. So I will recommend like sliding scale, whatever you can afford to donate, like maybe five to 20 bucks, um, for her business, just for the generosity of, uh, letting us use the space, um, for studying the mysteries. So, um, I will make a post on my Instagram my facebook page when those actually began to start so you can follow me on instagram and facebook as uh at SOR zodkiel so s-o-r-o-r which is latin for sister zodkiel t-z-a-d-k-i-e-l so my handle is just SOR zodkiel one word um you can also find links to all my social media uh through my website which is rotatero.com Also, uh, soarsodkeel.com, they link to the same website. Um, so yeah, stay, you can stay abreast of things, uh, on my website through my social media. Um, also I have a YouTube channel. It has been neglected because I did have a baby, uh, and now I'm having a second baby. Um, but if you're interested in kind of just, uh, learning a little bit about the archetypes of tarot, I did do a series on kind of an introduction to Cabalistic tarot. I have two very long videos going over kind of like a solid introduction to the archetypes. And then I have one like 10 to 15 minute video on each of the 22 majors. And I have a series that I started on there, um, which is kind of just a conversational series on the archetypes of the major arcana, which I do plan on picking up Uh <laughs> i've just had a really full plate um so i will resume creating content on youtube but for those of you that are interested you can see um more about learning the mysteries of tablistic tarot on my youtube again under Sor Zodkill.
0: awesome well i really appreciate you taking the time it is always such a pleasure to speak with you and um i Likewise, hope that we uh... That we get to have this uh, another talk again in the future. So, Rosakio, thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much.